0: pray. Father, take my life. Use these lips, these tongues, these hands, this body. For it is yours. You have redeemed it. You have saved me. You are famous to me. May I make you famous now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was sitting in the pastor's office over 10 years ago. The pastor was doing a service, and he's preaching. I had sinned, I had written a statement to address the congregation, and I was to wait in his chambers until the time the service was over to come and tell the people what I had done to confess my sin. It was lonely in his office, I sat in his chair, nobody around, I felt lonely during this time, And my sister walks in and gets me, when the time came. And I walked down the hallway, and I was crying. Guilt and shame overwhelmed me. I had to face people. I was open, naked, and exposed to people. I felt the weight of my sin. And the last time I stepped into a pulpit, I grabbed the side, I put down my statement, and I I can hardly read it because the tears were welling up in my eyes, and the snot was flowing from my nose, and I didn't care. And I couldn't even look up at the people because of the guilt and shame. And that was the last time I was in a pulpit over ten years ago. And I told the people, and I confessed to them my sin. That I had ruined my life. But I trust in Jesus to redeem it somehow. I didn't know how. I'd heard of the Gospel, and I didn't know. And I remember saying at the very end, because of what I believed, somehow in that moment I was given hope. That I would be back. That somehow, the life that I've just thrown away would somehow be redeemed. It was humiliating. But since then, over the last ten years, Jesus has been quite famous to me. Jesus has worked in my heart and my life in a way that nobody else has. I can testify, and this morning I do, that Jesus is the only thing I'm going to proclaim. Because of what He's done in my life. He's restored to me and He's brought me out of the places that are dark, and difficult. He has spoken truth to me when I've been very susceptible to the lies that Satan... We just got done singing a song that I've asked Rachel to play because it meant so much to me before the throne. She's right. It could be very intimidating. Especially if you have that understanding of sin and guilt and shame. But listen to these words because these are the hopes... This is what brings me to my knees every time. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest, whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue could bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there. who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Behold them there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. I apologize for being a little emotional. But here's the deal. Last time, I was ashamed. And this time, I'm overjoyed with what Jesus has done in my life. Jesus is famous to me, like I said, and my desire, my ministry, the whole reason why I'm here, the reason why I would align myself with this amazing man, Marshall, the reason why I want to do ministry here at Harvest Point is because I want to make Jesus famous because it seems to me that you sitting here and that man sitting there also wants to make Jesus famous. And this is nothing new. It should be very familiar, but might, it might be fresh to us. For I want to get back into preaching and ministry and making Jesus famous in the way that he made himself famous, as we'll see here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. In every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem to Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus enters in and begins his ministry by declaring something great, and that is this kingdom. There is a people that are hoping for something better. There are people that have ailments. There are people that have difficulties. There are people that have no use of their legs. There are people that are being demonically possessed. There are people that are being enslaved with their sin. And they're always hoping for something better. They're always hoping for maybe a better kingdom to come. And here enters in Jesus, and this is how his fame begins to grow. Is because he begins to communicate, first and foremost, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He is bringing and ushering in a different kingdom that nobody has ever experienced. And he says, repent, stop living this life Stop ruling in your own kingdom and come and join my kingdom. Come into this kingdom. And he begins, and his fame grows, and people begin to gather around him because they're intrigued with what he's saying. And what he's saying is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like that treasure you found buried and hidden. And you go and you sell everything you have because it's that amazing. You go and give and, and lay waste to everything you have. You give it all up. You forfeit it all. And you buy. You do whatever it takes and you buy this. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where the meek will inherit. Where those who hunger and thirst for that which is right will be satisfied. The kingdom of heaven is like a little mustard seed. Yeah, it seems small. But man, when you plant it, it becomes a huge tree in the midst of the garden that the birds find its shelter and shade. The kingdom of heaven is like a place where you will find true love. Where you will find that I will pursue you no matter what the cost. The kingdom of heaven is like when sins are completely made waste and done away with and are completely pardoned. He's teaching these people because they need relief. They need relief from their life. He continues to to spread this gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here and I am it. And repent, turn, you don't like this life. This life isn't affording you much. Or maybe it is, but it's nothing compared to what I am offering you in the kingdom. And he continues to do this. He says, you come into my kingdom, you get rest. You come into my kingdom, you will flourish. You come into my kingdom, and the last will be first, and the first will be last. You come into my kingdom, no matter if you started there or if you ended there, no matter where you come, you get full reward. Nothing will be withheld from you. And I could testify to this. Because in my own life, as I've stated, and you can, uh, I told my testimony because I didn't want to take up time today to, uh, to reveal my testimony. But like I've mentioned, I have sought my kingdom and ruined it. I was once a king of my own life. I have sought power, I have sought my own fame, and it destroyed me. It humiliated me. And then Jesus says, hey, why don't you come to my kingdom? Repent, get rid of that, and come to mine. I said, Jesus, I don't deserve it. He goes, that's okay. I made the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Come live in my kingdom. And I said, Jesus, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I trust you. And in this kingdom there is a king who loves you. In this kingdom there is a wedding feast to where the king himself the king himself uh, brings in his people unites himself with her and feasts and sings and love is being made manifest and he says repent. For the kingdom of God is here. Stop this way and turn this way to something better. That's what you hope for. That's what you long for. And I am bringing it here. And not only is he declaring this kingdom, he demonstrates its power. We've all heard these stories in the Gospels. Like the story of the paralytic. You have five guys. I like to refer to them as a band of brothers. You have five guys. One of them is a paralytic. Four of them carry him on a mat. They hear about the fame of Jesus because Jesus is the one that can heal. Jesus is the one that can restore. Jesus is ushering in a kingdom that is magnificent and great and we need to get to him. We need to take our boy to go and see Jesus. And because of Jesus' fame, they couldn't even get into the door. They're walking up to the place. The door is jam-packed. There are teachers of the law, and everybody's coming to see Jesus. But they got to get their boy to Jesus, because Jesus can do something. So they go up to the side. They go up to the, the rooftop, and they start just peeling it away you can imagine in the scene as they're peeling it away. I mean, they're destroying a house, a rooftop of a house. to get their boy to Jesus. That's how much faith, that's what they believe about this king that is bringing in this kingdom, that they start peeling it away. And you can imagine as Jesus is talking, there's just these little things falling down on him, and he's just doing this. And he sees a little eye, a little face pop through to make sure that they're aligned to bringing this boy down, straight down there. Yep, we got him. Boom take away the rooftop, start lowering him down. And there's something about the story that has always intrigued me, as I love to imagine what it would be like, and that is that Jesus, looking up, seeing their faith. Because at first, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's paralyzed, so if he falls to the ground, he really won't, like, feel anything. But I'm scared of heights, so... I mean, just being on a bed, being lowered by a rope or whatnot by my boys, which sometimes don't always do nice things to me, playing pranks and tricks, are lowering me down. But that's not the case. The case is, Jesus says, seeing their faith. So I can imagine the paralytic, knowing what Jesus can do, is reaching for him, is saying, yes, bring me lower, whatever it takes. Take me to the king. Take me to Jesus And then Jesus does something amazing here that demonstrates the kingdom. Seeing their faith, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He's paralyzed, buddy. What are you doing? See, Jesus sees things that we don't see. Jesus always gives us what we need more than what we think we need. Jesus is more concerned with the state of your soul and your relationship with God than your ability to walk. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, people in the crowd had a hard time with this because they only think that God can forgive sins. Which is true. But what they don't realize is that Jesus was God in the flesh. And reasoning in their hearts, they thought these things, but Jesus, perceiving what they were reasoning, he goes, why do you have a problem with that? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to take up your bed and walk? It's actually harder to say, because this doesn't have any physical evidence to say your sins are forgiven. How do you know? I going to say that, and you guys would never know. But if I said, take up your pallet and walk, Oh, then you would know I'd have power. See, it requires faith here. And he says, but so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the paralytic walks out. The power of the kingdom is displayed. Jesus the king restores a man's legs to him. Or maybe you might be more familiar with the hemorrhaging woman, the woman bleeding for 12 years, who suffered at the hands of physicians because nobody can help her. Nobody knew what was wrong with her. Nobody can fix her. She had spent all that she had and suffered at, by their hands. And again, the crowd, because Jesus is famous, was pushing in on him. And this woman who has a disease that causes her to bleed and has been bleeding and suffering for over 12 years and again has not found one person that can help her out, that can satisfy and to help heal her of her ailment, of her disease. Her faith draws her to her knees to creep and crawl because she believed, man, if even if I just pricked his garment the fringe of his garment, if if I could just touch him, if I could just get close enough to where something might grasp in my hand for him that's touching him, that I will be healed. That is great faith. So she crawls around through everybody, through everybody who's pressing in on Jesus and she touches his garment and she is immediately dried up. She is immediately healed and feels the disease leave her. And Jesus, feeling his power, had left, left him, said, Who touched me? And his disciple goes, Hey, hey Jesus, I don't know if you're recognizing, but there's people all around you pushing in on you. And you're asking, who's touching you? And so the woman comes and confesses before her Lord, and he says, I she said, I did it. I did it. I'm the one that that came. I'm sorry, but I just had to touch you because I believe that you can change me. I believe that you can restore me. I bet you can rescue me. I bet you can heal me because you are great. You are famous. You are amazing. You are a king and preaching a kingdom that I want to be a part of. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or maybe... You're familiar with the stories of the demon-possessed. Those who are even too strong that nobody would go around. They're coming out of the graves. I don't hang around a, 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 a graveyard. So I don't really know what's going on there, but they're in the graveyard. They're strong. Nobody even passes by them because they're psycho. They're out of their mind. They're crazy. But can you imagine being that person? Tormented. Feeling like, you're being torn apart all the time. And Jesus, with the command of his voice, says, leave. Man, they just, they, they hightail it out of there. They go back to the pit from which they came. He's demonstrating his power, even in his own word, that he could command, and it becomes... You might be like me, going, Bruce, I don't know about you, but this is 2020. Demon possession really isn't a thing here in Madison, Alabama. Okay, that's cute, but here's the deal. (laughs) When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of all the guilt and shame within, can anybody here right now relate to that? Maybe this week, maybe this morning, maybe last night. Where Satan comes in, who knows your weaknesses and speaks lies that seem like truths to you. Who make you feel like you are not a child of God. Who who says to you, hey man, yeah, you just need to work harder. You're not a child of God. You really, you know what, there's no hope there. Your hope is in your own strength, so you just got to do better, okay? Okay? Making you believe that you can earn yourself to a better position, to a better kingdom. Maybe he's telling you, hey man, nobody, man, do you know how many people are looking at you with judgment? There's no way. Those people are going to say all kinds of raunchy things about you, man. You should not be in that pulpit. Can't do it. Maybe he's saying to you, you don't know what you're doing, you're making big mistakes. You shouldn't be responsible for leading a people anymore. I mean, you can't even make a good decision. I think you're wishy-washy. You're pathetic. You're a loser. Those are the lies of Satan. And the only way to defeat those is by speaking truth. I know me, and I know Pastor Marshall here, know what the lies of Satan and how powerful they are. And we've both spoken the truth of Jesus. You are not who you say you are. You are not who Satan says you are. You are who Jesus says you are. And he says that if you believe in him, then you are a child of God. Satan wants to disband. Jesus wants to unify. He wants us to gather. He wants us to be together. Don't listen to the lies of Satan no more. Instead, say, flee, go, in the name of Jesus, and he will, because his lies are nothing compared to the truth. For who is the truth? Jesus. Who is the life? Jesus. Who is the way? Jesus. Not only is he demonstrating his power of the kingdom, and not only is he gaining his fame for what he's able to do with people, and helping them, restoring them, redeeming them, But he also is commanding and rebuking storms. You remember when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was asleep. And they're freaking out because the waves are crashing their boat, tossing it to and fro. They are freaking out. I have been on the ocean one time. I threw up for about 30 minutes and I did not like it. And so I wish Jesus was there to comfort me. But here's the deal. They were scared out of their mind. And they woke Jesus up, "Hey, we're about to perish, We're going to die." He's like, "Oh, you have little faith." And he rebuked the storms and the storms ceased. And he was Lord. He displayed his kingship. He displayed his Lordness over creation. And it ceased like that. Again, with the power of His word. And another time, the disciples get into the boat, they go ahead of Him. And then they look back, and they see something walking on the waters. Now, sometimes the disciples aren't all there. Because they're like, oh, this is a ghost. Oh, no, no, it's Jesus. Oh, this is great. And Jesus says, hey, don't don't fear. It's me. Peter says, if it's you, let let me come to you. And Jesus, being king and lord over everything, says, go ahead and come. And Peter walks on water. Proving that when you have faith in Jesus and he commands it to be so, and you are walking with him on top of the water. But Peter, we all know what happens to Peter. Good old Peter. I'm like Peter. He Takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. And even when that happens, even when we find ourselves taking our eyes off of Jesus, and we begin to sink, When we make those bad decisions, even this afternoon, this evening, maybe right now, maybe later on this week or next month, whenever that happens, you know who's going to be there to pull you back up. A lot of us think that, oh, we got to walk on water all the time. we got to do this, this, and that in order to maintain walking on water. There's only one person who constantly walks on water, and that is Jesus. And that's what we need. We don't need to rely on ourselves. We need to rely on Jesus. And when we mess up, he's right there to grab it. I got you. This is the kingdom. I don't lose anybody. I'm King Jesus. I'm Jesus. And he pulls us up. But this isn't even all these things that are going on, him declaring the kingdom, him demonstrating the power of the kingdom. This isn't even the pinnacle of his fame yet. People are gathering together. He's feeding 5,000 people. With just a couple things of fish and bread. He multiplies it and he feeds them. He he always provides for his people. He always gives them what they need. Even when they don't realize that they need it. He is King Jesus. He's famous Jesus. Crowds are gathering around. They're excited. They're, They're like, yes, we want what he is preaching about. We want what he is teaching about. We want what he is demonstrating. But that's not even the pinnacle of his fame. a garden one night. He gets done praying, and one of his disciples comes and kisses him to betray him, and a mob, a host of men with clubs and swords in their hands, and he says, who do you come seeking? He says, we come seeking Jesus of Nazareth, and with the command of his voice, he says, I am he. And the men just draw back and they fall down. And the Poor little soul. Jesus asks again, who do you, who do you seek? And whoever the guy was, man, he had more courage than I did or I would have to say, uh, Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am He. And Peter, taking a sword, is like, let's do this. He starts slaying off ears because he's a bad aim. Jesus said, hey, Puts the ears back on. He says, You come here for me, take me, leave them alone. And Jesus goes. And he goes before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate can't really find anything wrong with him. But the people, you know, the ones that were pushing in on him, saying, Hey, can you give me this? Hey, can you heal me of this? Hey, I, wa- I want my life to change. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, can you do this? These were the people that were also now saying, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And it was a custom to give somebody to the crowd, and so Pontius Pilate says, "Okay, I could give you Jesus. Or I can give you Barabbas, a murderer." We all know the story. They chose to have a murderer living on their streets. They chose not the kingdom and the king. They chose a murderer. Maybe you're like me at this point in the story. As you flip the page, you're like, man, these people are idiots. They're so dumb. How, I mean, how, isn't it not obvious? Isn't it not obvious? Why would you ask for a murderer when you have Jesus? Jesus. Free Jesus. Come on. Yes. You guys were all crowding around him while he was going and doing things that you you needed. He was making himself famous. You made him famous because of what he could do for your life. And ask for him now. But no, they didn't. They asked for a murderer. And before you get too judgmental, let me just bring it back home, maybe to myself, is I have done worse than choosing a murderer to run around in my garden. In my house. I have... Daily, chosen things instead of Jesus. I have daily made other things famous in my life than Jesus. And I bet some of you also have. So before you get high and mighty, saying, well, I would have chose Jesus, you would have chosen worse than a murderer. Had it been a sex offender, you would have said, give me the sex offender than Jesus. Many of you are eating and taking things and dwelling on things other than Jesus. That's the same thing. And Jesus points that back when he was talking about the kingdom because he's like, my kingdom isn't just about your outward appearances and your works. It's about what's really in your heart. You have anger. You have this. You have that. You have lust. You have all these things. You have fundamental hatred for God because you love yourself more than you love God. So when it comes to that choice, you wouldn't even choose Jesus. You would have chosen the murderer like everybody else. You need a new heart. You need to be given a new spirit. You need to be recreated. And the one, remember the one who can speak and it becomes, speaks into your life and you become something more than what you are. You become something that you were intended and created to be but only through faith in Jesus. So they asked for Barabbas. They got a murderer. They gave up Jesus. He was crucified. On the cross, raised up, died, buried. And that, that was enough, right? Because now it's theologically like, his death paid our penalty for sin. For the wages of sin is death. That's great, right? Oh man, that's what gets me. That's that, that's when I sing or when there's certain words that are triggering for me, it's just like that's it. My sin is forgiven. It's done away with, it's made vanquished. But the story doesn't end there. You flip the page. In three days, he rises. He's resurrected. So let me let me speak about this because this is something recently I've learned because I have often, like I've mentioned before, dwelt in guilt and shame. And I'm so thankful for Jesus, a Savior who redeems me and forgives me of my sins and casts it as far as the east is from the west. And when I confess them, he says, I am faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It just doesn't stop there. Jesus is a king and in the kingdom is something much more than what we need. He gives us what we need and then fills our cup over until it overflows and gives us victory to the fact that Paul even says, you are more than conquerors. You know what that means? That means a conqueror is a guy who goes to war, he slays his enemy, and he's victorious. More than a conqueror doesn't have to go to war. He already is victorious. That's more than a conqueror. But how many of us are living in that victory? How many of us are pursuing holiness, which is victory? I know, and this speaks to my heart, and so I'm just going to personalize this. Maybe this isn't for you, this is for me. Is not only did God restore my life and redeem things into my life, but He's given me a new heart to where I say, I don't have to do these things, I get to do these things. That's living in victory. When you are living in the way that you were intended and created by God Himself to be, that's when you're living in victory. When you no longer want to just hate people because they annoy you, but you want to love them, that's living in victory. Holiness is a thing that isn't out of our grasp. It is a thing that Jesus begins working in you. It happens like this. You place your faith in Jesus. All your sins are forgiven. Everything is paid for. And then he's going to cloak you with his righteousness and give you his spirit because everything he's doing here, as he's demonstrating the kingdom, he's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see he is demonstrating, Jesus is, King Jesus is demonstrating a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Everything he's doing, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it descend upon him in his baptism. And that's when he begins his ministry. And everything he does is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that same thing happens to you. He promises you, you believe in me, I give you the Holy Spirit, and now you can live a life. It's going to recreate you. It's going to give you a new heart. It's going to change you and transform you. You're going to start thinking in ways you've never thought before. You are going to be radically different. And it might take 15 years. It might take 20. It might take two. It might take a week. Everybody's different. He's a great king who loves diversity and celebrates it. And so everybody's on a different level. But he wants you to live in that level where you're at. In the spirit. Pursue holiness. He goes, you're not your own anymore. I bought you. You were once Born of perishable seed, now you have been reborn with imperishable seed, Peter says. It "Means means it can't be done away with. You will never be forgotten. You will never be left behind. You will never be laid waste. Death has no sting for you for those who are in Jesus Christ. That is a king that has a kingdom that all of us need to turn from ours to his. That's repent." For the kingdom of God is here and now, and it's for you, and it comes in Jesus Christ. That is famous Jesus. That's what makes Jesus, Jesus great. Other than the fact He's the Son of God, He gives everything we need. And so the pinnacle of His fame comes at a moment when everybody turned his back, their backs on Him. You would think that death would bring nothing good. But it does. See, God does not work in the ways we work. I would have brought salvation through Chick-fil-A. If you eat five (laughs) meals of Chick-fil-A a a day. If uh, you watch the Tennessee Vols every Saturday. And that's pretty much how salvation, if I were making in my kingdom, would happen. But that's not what happens. Jesus flips everything up down. He goes, through death I bring life. You lose your life. Oh, you'll have a better one. So his fame reaches its pinnacle in his death. And we live in his resurrection in victory and holiness. So now let's turn and apply this. How can we make Jesus famous in your life? Reflect on your life and the things that Jesus has done for it. What do you need to repent of to turn from this kingdom to your kingdom, from your kingdom to his kingdom? Do you really think that Jesus is famous? Then why do you hang on to the things that bring you down, that entangle you, that continue to enslave you? Is Jesus famous in your life? Is your spouse able to come and say, when you're acting naughty, are they able to come to you and say, hey, this isn't what Jesus would have you to act like or say or do. Do you buck up and like, well, try to justify yourself? I know I do sometimes. Sorry, babe. But if Jesus is made famous, then with the mention of his name, you're like, ah, this is not what Jesus wants for me. Got to turn it around. Spirit come, fill me, change my heart because, man, I'm angry. I'm a murderer because I'm angry. Yeah. Is Jesus famous in your life? Do you get on your knees? Do you, do you spend time with him? Because, see, if, if somebody's famous, you want all their attention. You want to go up to them and like, you want to shake their hand, you want their autograph, you want to spend some time, you want to get to know them, you want them to get to know you. You want to be with them because they're famous. Are, is Jesus famous in your life? What about this? Is Jesus famous in your family? Do you, men, make Jesus famous in your family? Are teenagers... And our children are in VBS right now. Our teenagers have just spent the last two to three days, hopefully in an atmosphere where Jesus reigns constantly. From the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, they're surrounded by Jesus. They're probably on a spiritual high. By the grace of God, they're hopefully on a spiritual high. But will they lose it this week because they've entered into your home where Jesus has been non-existent? Will they lose it because they have to turn and do something else besides Jesus. There's a lot of movies that uh, I think are awkward and weird that kind of paint this picture about uh, teenagers or college students who want to go chase their dream, Dad. Well, honey, I, I want you to chase your dream. We'll do whatever it takes. Are you a dad that just wants your children to pursue their dreams? Or are you a dad, are you a parent that wants your children to pursue Jesus because that's the better thing? I know that's a little hard. Like, all right, Bruce, are you that guy that says we can't go do this and have fun? Maybe. I don't know. But I know that I want to make Jesus famous in my kid's life. Our culture will impose upon your child a discipline in order to be a better baseball player, a better wrestler, to be more applicable to me. Right? We, we have to go to these practices to play in the game. I remember in high school, I played basketball. Man, I did not want to miss a practice because I wanted to play in the game. That was the ultimate for the week. You work hard to get to play in the game. Guess what's what sounds famous there? Basketball. The game. Instead, are you making Jesus famous in your family? When your children messes up, are they scared of your anger, or are they going to be reaching out for the love of God? Are you bending and shaping and molding their heart towards following a set of rules, or to please God and honor Him with their lives through grace and mercy? Are you making Jesus famous? Are you advancing that kingdom in their hearts? What about this church? What have we done to make Jesus famous? Now, let me preface that. I know you guys have done some amazing things not saying that. I'm new. I get it. I love this guy right here. He shares all the ways that you guys are making Jesus famous. But what he's about to unleash on you next week is a vision that seeks to make Jesus even more famous in this church and in the community. He's going to be sharing with you a vision that God has laid on both of our hearts that makes Jesus famous. And when Jesus is made famous, his church is made fabulous. That's kind of the slogan. He's going to reveal that to you. And it looks like this. When you go and you feed the hungry, you make Jesus famous. When you go and love the fatherless, you make Jesus famous. When you go and love, people see Jesus. And that's the church that hopefully We get to be, and are going to strive to be, and we're going to start journeying journeying towards that. Making Jesus famous. Because Jesus says, anytime you love, acts of love, they see the face of God. What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. You want to celebrate the fame of Jesus? You go and do these things. You love the poor. You feel the hungry. You love the fatherless, the widows, the hurting. You get people to first and foremost to Jesus so their sins can be forgiven. And then we'll work on everything else because, like Jesus, that's the most important thing that he's concerned about is the relationship he has with you. So we got to speak Jesus. Jesus has to be in the forefronts of our minds and on the edge of our tongues in every interaction. We have to make Jesus famous. And I know I'm not perfect at this, so I am not sitting here standing over you and saying these things. Instead, I am standing alongside of you saying, let's make Jesus famous. And let's make this church fabulous by communicating the fame and the amazing things that Jesus stands for, which we just did a survey of going through the Gospels. Jesus started his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom I am bringing to you, and I'm demonstrating to you, and then I've given to you, delivered over by my death to you. Come and join me. Let's be a church like that. Because if we're not making Jesus famous, then something else is being made famous. When we're listening to the lies of Satan, Satan is famous. When we're listening to ourselves or we're living for ourselves, ourselves become famous. When we are doing the right things, I hear, I'm new to this community, but I hear there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of problems that have really good jobs and just like, hey, I, I mean, there's very little that is going on in my life. I'm pretty happy cool that's your kingdom see if that lasts forever that's famous your job is famous i'm not talking about that i'm not talking about your job i'm not talking about satan i'm not talking about anything else but jesus it's all about jesus bruce That's simple yes it is it's all about jesus Maybe you're saying, Bruce, I've been making Jesus famous. He is famous to me. I try to make him famous for others. I'm here to make him famous in our church. Praise be to God that he has worked in your life to bring you to that point. Because as Marshall will come next week and share with you the things and the visions, then hopefully you'll be one of the first ones to say, Yep, let's do it. Sign me up. I'm making Jesus famous. I'm making his kingdom famous. I'm going to make him famous in the lives of our community, in the lives of our my children, in our church, in myself. Jesus is going to be famous. When Jesus is made famous, his church Will be made fabulous. And you'll hear more about that next week. I'm going to ask Rachel to come and just play.